Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be getting back into the book of James. We're going to be starting off back in verse number 8, where we left off on Thursday. And what an exciting opportunity it is to be able to get into the study of James. Of course, we discovered from last week that the, the name of James in Hebrew is Yaakov, and that is from the derivative of the same name that is Jacob. And of course, in Spanish, we know this book to be Santiago. So really exciting when you, when you think about all of the connections of, of language even that would go into this particular book. One that scholars and a lot of people don't really want to be included in the canon of Scripture simply because of the way in which it stomps on the toes of of people who really enjoy getting into sin. But we really need to study this book in order to be able to better understand uh, ourselves before God and to better understand our walk with the Lord. This is a very important book. So needless to say, as we left off on Thursday, we discovered the verse that said, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So we're going to get back into that here. But before that, let us turn to the Lord in prayer, asking his blessing on this Monday's study. Father, we are grateful for your blessing. We do thank you, Lord, that, that you have considered us, and that when you created mankind, Lord, that you looked upon us as making us in your own image and in your likeness, and that you so loved us that you were willing to give Jesus Christ from before even man was made. The plan was, was laid that, that Jesus would be the propitiation sacrifice for our sin. So we thank you, Lord, and we praise you for the blessing of your word, that in this life without your word we would be uh, wandering stars, like shooting stars flying through the sky, not, not having an aim, not having a purpose or a reason or, or knowing what to do. But you fixed all that by giving us your word and the completion of the testaments of the old and the new that come together to reveal the whole of you. Lord, you blessed us with this, and, and we, we have that sense of direction. We have that sense of understanding. We have everything that we need to live for you and to serve you in this life. And to top it off, Lord, you, you filled us with your spirit to give us understanding of those things which are written to connect us to the things holy that we may be able to live for you, that we may be able to speak for you, that we may be able to have the courage and, and Lord, the, the tenacity to stand for, for you and the things of God. So bless us, Lord, as we get into this teaching of James today. And bless us, Lord, that we may be faithful servants of your kingdom in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as this is being filmed, we are uh, prepared as Monday has come to, to go upon our journey up to North Dakota. And the, the filming location of this particular uh, session today is actually still in Virginia, uh, still in Manita. I'm sitting in one of the study rooms here at the Manita Library. And so I thank God for the blessing of the library that they would have this uh, space available for us, uh, for me to be able to come in and, and film so as to be able to be in two places at once today as this is being filmed at oh, 1030 in the, the morning so that at four o'clock while I'm talking to you, I'm also going to be driving west and north. So uh, the amazing ability of a preacher to be able to cover two places at one time. We can do it. 
just ask the internet. Nevertheless, we're going to jump right into James today. And James chapter number 1, as, as beginning in verse number 8, we need to look back a little bit because the issue that we're dealing with is concerning the testing of our faith. Understanding that, that as we come to Christ, no matter the age that you enter your belief in Jesus, no matter the age that, that you come to faith in Christ, that faith is going to be tested through the rest of your life. That faith is going to be tested by family members that do not believe and think you're foolish for following Jesus. That faith is going to be tested by co-workers who thinks, think it's a joke because you've lived the same life they've lived. You've cussed the same cussing that they've cussed. You, you've drank the same beer they've drank and smoked the same cigarettes they've smoked. So your life has been no different from theirs up until this point of of a conversion and of course they're they're going to be testing your faith because they don't believe that it's real and and what you do with your faith matters wholly as to how their lives will be affected so this is that testing of faith that we understand from verse number two when he says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds because there's there's even going to be people within the church that may doubt your salvation. You come forward and you're, you're one of the dregs of society, much like myself. Uh, I, was, I was one of the heathen of society. And when I called home and said, you won't believe what happened to me, I, I received Christ. I was right. They didn't believe what happened to me. <laughs> and so it's only been the test of time and the faith that is exhibited through the the work and the life and the in in the speech and everything about it that 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 would come to a place where they would accept the fact that I was actually born again but at the time where I received Christ nobody believed it because a lot of people believed it would be impossible for somebody like me at that time to be able to be saved and so I'm a living testimony to those out there who say well there's no way I could be saved I've been too wicked I've been too bad or evil no, that's not true. I'm a living testimony to the fact that you can be about as worse a human being as, as could be alive today, and still God is looking for you. In fact, he isn't looking for you anymore. He's found you because I'm talking to you right now, and he's brought his word through me to your ears. And so he desires you to come to him, to repent of your, your former ways, that former life, to die to that person that you are today so that you can be born again through a conversion that, that will make you a brand new creation in Christ. And he wants to do that for you. And it doesn't matter how bad you've been because there have been plenty of people worse than you. Trust me, I'm probably one of those that he can get a hold of your heart. He can change you and what God can't do. Guys, what an amazing work he's capable of doing. Understand that when you come to faith, that faith is going to be tested. And Satan will come at you. He will come at you with health issues. He'll come at you with, with financial issues. Uh, he'll come at you through, again, like I said, family, friends, co-workers, uh, schoolmates. He'll come at you through professors and teachers. He'll even come at you with Bible college teachers and professors. I mean, there's no counting the amount of tests that your faith may have to endure throughout a lifetime of serving Jesus. But look what he says. You know in verse number three that the testing of your faith pr produces a steadfastness. 
Now, when a person's faith is tested in, in many of these ways, but the person falls away from walking with Jesus, it proves that this person is not steadfast. When, when you have a determination because of your beliefs, no matter how hard people come against you, you, you buckle down even more. To turn away from something is to show that you really didn't believe it in the first place. To be able to easily give up on something, to, to change from one direction to another so flippantly or easy so as to say, well, I think I'll try Jesus out for six or eight months and see if it makes a difference in my life. And if he doesn't, then, you know, I'll toss it aside and I'll go with something different. We'll, we'll, we'll keep testing the field. Well, the reality of that is you've never received Jesus. And, and just because you went to an altar and just because you prayed a prayer and just because you got into a baptistry tank doesn't mean that you're saved. And, and those of you who truly are saved, you understand what I'm saying here is because salvation is an experience that takes place in the heart even before you get up out of the pew to go down. Salvation takes place even before you hit your knees on the side of the road because the Lord had convicted you and you pulled off the side of the road to cry out to him. Salvation comes before your knees hit the ground by the bedside or at the couch and wherever you are, salvation happens before you even speak because the heart moves before the mouth knows what to say and and this is something that's vital because a lot of our training a lot of our understanding is is that salvation hasn't happened until i followed this prayer salvation hasn't happened until i've come forward in a church i'm Salvation hasn't happened in some faith groups until I climb into the baptistry tank, until I speak in this tongue or speak in tongues. Salvation really hasn't happened, but that's all false. Salvation is a personal experience between you and God through the mediator between you and God and Christ Jesus through the, the sacrifice offering of his life through his blood for your sin. The acceptance of this through the Word of God and your understanding as the Holy Spirit draws you to Christ is what compels you to your knees to cry out. And when you cry out, you're saved. But this is the case. Uh, once receiving Christ, oh, how the devil, he can't have your soul anymore. He can't take you to hell with him. There's nothing that he's, he can do. He's powerless over you except for one thing. The one thing that he, that he does still retain a power to do to you is to rock your faith. It's to, is to cause you to, to generate a lot of seeds within you of doubt or of anxiety or of worry or of fear. You see, if he can't have your soul, he'll steal your testimony. He'll silence the voice of the Spirit that lives in you. And believe me, the Holy Spirit wants to speak through you. The Holy Spirit within you wants to cry out to the world and tell them of the truth of salvation. The Holy Spirit is, is living inside of every genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, and he has a work that is given to him to do from the Father. And he needs your voice and he needs your feet and he needs your hands. He needs you out there serving the Lord with, with a faithful heart. But if you, if you don't, I mean, if you hold back, if you, if you shrink into a corner, then the Holy Spirit is, is not 
able to do what his commission has been given to him by God to do, and you are not fulfilling the commission that Jesus, your king, has commissioned you to do. So there's a great deal of sorrow. There's a great deal of conviction that ought to come from that. And if it doesn't bother you at all, then I would say get saved. But understanding that children of God through the rest of their life will have to endure these tests of faith. And some of those tests can be so arduous. Some of those tests can be so hard and harsh that sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too, guys. I'm not saying you become perfect. I'm guilty of this. Sometimes we do fade back. I don't say fall back, but we do fade back. Sometimes we do we do remain silent when we should be speaking. We do take a different direction instead of the one that God would have us to do. We do these things. And the Lord has to chastise us because he loves us, because he needs his message given to the world of, of people that are lost that he loved and was willing to die for. He's got to get that message to them. And the only way he's getting that message to them is through us by the commission he's given to the Holy Spirit. So if we're not serving God, then we're going to be facing some, some serious uh, issues, rather in our personal life, our financial life, our health life, and anything else, because God's got to get our attention. So understand that when these tests come, instead of being afraid of them, instead of being fearful about them, it, it is given to us in the book of James to consider it a joy when we have a test of the faith that comes upon us. Knowing that the testing of our faith is going to produce this steadfastness that, that cannot be moved, like David would say, as, as temptations would come his way, he said, I shall not be moved from the rock. And it was those testings that would give him that strength through the steadfastness of the Spirit. Now, if you understand that, you understand where Jesus, like at the church at Thyatira, he would say, hold fast to that which you have already. And you'll find, like it says over in Smyrna, hold fast, or Philadelphia, hold fast, he says. And the reality of this is that very same steadfastness that he's revealing about the testings and the trials that you have to go through in your life about the faith, that, that if you would endure, and those who are truly born again will endure because they're not resting on their own strength to make it through these things. They're trusting in the authority of God to guide them through. And so the Holy Spirit will give them everything they need to endure. And he said, those who endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Well, it isn't because we have to go through a life of works in order to be able to please God to be saved. But those who fall away and not return are those who did not endure. And they didn't endure because they didn't have the Spirit. They had all of the religion and none of the relationship needed for salvation. There are a lot of people in our society today that are just that way. They have all of the religion, but none of the relationship. And unfortunately, the religion is not going to be good enough to be able to get you to heaven because the religion, though it does teach you about God and though it does reveal a lot about God, it cannot connect you to the blood of Christ but that religion only is the vehicle that drives us to relationship. 
So what I'm saying is, is that religion is not a bad thing because religion brings us before the Lord. It brings us before the law and, and it brings a conviction to us that drives us to salvation. It drives us to faith in, in connecting to a relationship with God. But religion, when it is lifted up to be the main thing, it will destroy you because once you connect yourself to the religion and not the relationship with God, then you have nothing. You have the empty rituals and empty ceremonies and empty promises of man, but none of that gets you close to God. Only a relationship connected through the religion is going to make all the difference in the world. In other words, the, the, the rituals that would happen, the songs that would be sung, the, the scriptures that would be read, the, the services that would be rendered in liturgies and, and homilies and everything else only make sense and power of connection through a relationship with God. Elsewise, it's, it's vanity. It's just the emptiness of going through the motions like a peacock every week and it's no good. And thus, it tells us about the steadfastness having its full effect makes us complete. And so if we discover, like it says in verse 5, if anybody lacks wisdom, it, it is enough to ask of God. If you're lacking wisdom about the Bible, you don't have to go to a seminary for this. You don't have to go to a Bible college for this, even though they would be upset that I said that because that's exactly what they want you to do in order for them to continue making the fat bucks uh, the big dollars that, that they put in their pockets and, and the, you know, the fame that they build for all of the student body that they have. So, of course, they'd be a little upset that I would say you don't need them. But I'm also not saying that they don't have a place. Of course, they have a place because there are additional uh, challenges to the way that we think that these, these colleges and things can bring you to to help you further engage your mind into the things of God, go deeper into the study of God. But uh, in order to gain wisdom and understanding of the Word of God, one only needs the Holy Spirit to guide them. One only needs the church and a pastor who is, who is filled by the Spirit and who is uh, di- di- just led of the Lord to teach the scriptures. We don't have to have these what I call cemeteries. We don't, we don't have to have them. They're just a treasure that, that we can utilize as a means to be able to further grow in, in our, our understanding of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher that could ever be to lead us into the paths of righteousness for Jesus' name's sake. A seminary is not going to bring you to the paths of righteousness. It'll only bring you into the path of thought. And most of the thought that comes from those is contradictory to the Word of God, and that's where you have to study to show yourself approved so that even you could challenge the professors and the things that they're falsely teaching in a lot of these places. But that can only happen when you, when you genuinely seek the Word of the Lord through the Spirit unto the, unto the Bible and you and God alone. That's your best times, guys. That's the times that we're having right here. And believe me, I'm not asking you to take my word for any of this. In fact, I wouldn't have anybody watching this right now to follow me. My desire is to be able to lay the word of God out before you, bare and open, for you to be able to see for yourself if those things that I'm saying are not true, for you to study the things that I'm saying that you don't agree with, so that you may be able to, to discover a pattern of truth from the word of God itself instead of trusting my word, 
or to discover that I'm telling the truth and you can say, wow, this the Word of God becomes alive to you through the, the teachings here at the, at the corner. But, but never take my word as gospel because it isn't in the Bible. It's not gospel. Only the word of God can be trusted. And that's true for any professor, for any seminary, because these boys, they lose their heads thinking their doctorate degree made them something instead of relying on the Holy Spirit of God to complete them, just like you see right here. And in verse number four, saying that the person who trusts in the Lord and is steadfast in the faith becomes complete through the Holy Spirit. He says, if anybody lacks wisdom in verse five, let him ask of God. You ask of God, God's going to provide for you generously without a reproach. And the reason is, is because God wants you to ask him for wisdom. God wants you to come to him through the word of God. He wants to be able to speak to you. And the means by which God can speak to you is through his word in connection with the spirit. God isn't going to come down from heaven in, in, in some voice or wispy thing as some mystical uh, union and, and, and speak to you in, in, in dreams and in visions and all of these things. God has given the complete testimony of his word that is necessary for life, for salvation, and, and for everything else of the faith. And so God's method of being able to talk with you today Whereas back in the times of the apostles, he did have to speak to you in a different means because his word wasn't complete yet. Of course, the Old Testament, he, he visited people, dreams and visions, and, and he did all of these things, but his word wasn't complete yet. But now that we have the completed word of God, this is the method. This is the means by which he's going to come and speak to the whole world. And through. so it is through the word of God that, that the Lord is going to speak to us. Prayer is that time that we turn to the Lord and speak to him. But when he desires to speak to us, we've got to open the word. That's why if you got a Bible, don't let it collect dust anymore. Keep that Bible open. Because an open Bible is, is a Bible able to speak to the soul. A closed Bible is a silent Lord. So get that thing open. Get it before you. Let the Word of God come off the page through the Holy Spirit and, and connect in union with you so that you've got something. Like Psalm 119, the 119th Psalm, verse number 11, it says, Thy word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. That, that the same Psalm 119 and verse 105 would say, Thy word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The necessity of God's word being in us and the only way it's going to happen is if God's word is open before us and it's God's word that's going to give us that steadfast determination to continue serving the Lord. It's God's word that, that's going to continue keeping us in fellowship and communion with the Lord. So guys, very important. And in verse number six, it revealed that let him ask in faith, that steadfastness of trusting in the receiving of the word of the Lord by the Holy Spirit, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. You know, we live a life where we question the things of God. We live a life where we question the word of God, where we question our ability through the Holy Spirit to speak to others, to share the gospel, where we live a life questioning those things which the Lord has very clearly made known through his word that we're supposed to be doing. 
Why do we, why should we think or suppose that God would provide all of the, the requests of our heart that, that we seek in blessings when we do nothing for Him? Be about like your children that, that when you tell them to do things and, and they don't do it, uh, it's not like you buy them an ice cream and say, well, maybe next time. It's not like you provide them with, a, with the allowance at the end of the week because they, having done nothing of what was expected for the exchange of the allowance and you say, well, maybe you'll get better next week. None of, not, not the case at all. Now, it may be the case in this modern society, but uh, when I was growing up, it wasn't the case. And many of you that are watching this, when you grew up, it wasn't the case. No work, no pay. And, and if you didn't do what you were told to do, such as clean your room in the time frame that they started coming back there to check on your room, you might get a busting on the butt. You aren't going to get an ice cream for certain. You were going to get chewed out for certain. So understand that, that if, if that happened in our earthly life, why in the world would we expect God to be any different as a parent? But keep in mind that God is not just a parent. He's, he's a master because remember, our relationship is the fact that we were bought with a price through the blood of Christ. And we are called to honor God with our bodies, with our, with our minds, with our service. So we're actually slaves to the kingdom of God. We're, we're, we're subjects of the king. So he is a father, but we're also subjects. And, and in both cases, would we not expect a king to discipline subjects that were wayward with him? Would we not expect parents to take a stand and discipline those who are wayward with them? And so why do we have this disconnect in our heart that shows us that God is somehow allowing, allowing for all of the wickednesses that we may get into without any of the consequences of those actions? Well, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says uh, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Thus we move forward, and it tells us in verse number 9, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and let the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, it will pass away. And the connection, of course, when we get down to verse number 11 uh, and, and is, is the recognition of the difference between the poor and the rich. Understanding that in God's kingdom, now we're talking about perfectville, and when it gets to the kingdom of heaven, we will, we will achieve this. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite exist in our modern day. While we're living in the kingdom of God, this should be the pattern, especially for the Christians, as we recognize in Hebrews chapter number four that we are to do good and, and, and bless all men, but especially, the scripture said, especially those of the household of the faith. So this is the way that churches and that Christians should be treating each other so that we become a pattern for the world to see and give it a, a means to change, but it just doesn't happen that way. And it didn't happen this way in Scripture because uh, when Paul was teaching Timothy, he said, don't be impressed by the gold chains and all of the fancy apparel in that you would take the bum that just come in off the street and put him in the back corner to keep him distant from all of those of the wealthy that you keep on the front pew. He said, God does not respect 
any persons. Therefore, we are called to love all people the same way, just like God taught us to. And it's, it's necessary for us to be able to grasp this point. It's because what is being said here is that the blessing for the lowly is that they can rejoice in what God has done in exalting them. Now, remember in the book of Acts, in chapter number 3, it showed that the people who were wealthy, who had just begun as a part of this new, new body that was forming called the church, remember in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people became a part of the church that Jesus built out of the 120 in one day. So on Acts chapter 3, you have 3,120 members of this one unified church there in Jerusalem. And it said that the wealthy people were coming and bringing of their abundance before the apostles' feet and laying it down, rejoicing in the Lord. And the purpose behind the tithe, the purpose behind the offerings that we make to the house of God today is, is a lot like the benevolence offering that we, we have utilized greatly at Morgan's during my time at the church is because that is a means by which we as a church can be a blessing to our community and especially those of the household of our faith. And so it's, it's understood that those who have need as being those needs provided by the, the wealthy who gave to be able to provide for those needs, then the lowly brother has ability to boast in the exaltation that has happened to him. Uh, and that boasting is of the Lord because he doesn't know the wealthy people that made it possible for him to have the ability to be exalted. He only knows that through the house of God, the exaltation has come to him. And so he praises the Lord for the blessing that he has received in being able to pay that bill or being able to pay, you know, go to the doctor's office, have the, the gas, uh, you name it, a new suit, some clothes, some shoes on the feet, whatever it would be, food in the fridge. The lowly brother can, can rejoice or boast, as it says, uh, and that word boast literally means to brag on God. I mean, he, he could say, look at what God has done for me. Look at these new shoes that God has blessed me with. Look at the, I, I, I had no idea how I was going to pay that electric bill, but God came through. I had no way of being able to cover my medical expenses, but but the money just showed up. The, the bills were paid when I called the hospital. Look what God can do. Amen. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And in a, in a like manner, let the, the rich boast, as it would be, in his humiliation. Recognizing that the great wealth which one may possess is a wealth that is only blessed of them by the Lord. You see, no man on the planet is a self-made man. Some are born to privilege and wealth. Some amass privilege and wealth through their lives. Some are frugal and, and, and very wise with investment and, and build the, the, the wealth through a period of time of their working lives. But in any given measure, regardless, we discover that it is ultimately God who makes that provision possible for those lives, even the lost ones. And so that we see that there are wealthy 
uh, African American, there are wealthy Caucasian, there are wealthy Asian, there are wealthy Hispanic, there are wealthy people through all culture, through all the world. So as to say that it is not some particular privilege of some particular people group, but that God has blessed all his creation and that there be a wealth that, that is within all people groups. Now, the, the perfect will I was talking about earlier is the recognition that those that have that wealth would, would have a faith in God enough to, to be uh, willing to provide a portion of that wealth for the blessing of those that, that are in poverty. For some have come into the world and will never be able to elevate themselves in any frame or fashion because very possibly this was the plan of God to, to uh, have, have people helping people, people loving people, serving people with people so that we can honor our Father in heaven. Unfortunately, our poverty comes in a world of corruption and our wealthy come into a world of corruption and that corruption is absolute in, in, in its state of wickedness and so the poverty tend to, to do things like steal and murder and and, and, and things of that nature to try and achieve or obtain, and the wealthy tend to steal and murder and, and uh, you name it, to be able to retain and, and gain more. And we, we have this, this state of wickedness in society. So it is left under the church to reveal that you don't have to be that way, that, that you can be another way. And the Lord reveals this in verse 11. He said, the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and the flower falls and, and the beauty perishes. So is the rich man. He's going to fade away in the midst of all of his pursuits unless his pursuits lead him to Christ and lead him to serving the Lord. And such pursuits will be those blessed with long life and of, and of, of added blessing. But as he seeks to, to provide for himself and ignore the, the, the work of blessing he could be to the world around him, then a short life he shall live. And so it comes down and it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Amen. Stand the test of the faith. Stand the trial. Just trust the Lord. He said to Smyrna, remember, he said to them, he said, uh, some of you are going to be taken to prison. Some of you are even going to be killed. He told his own disciples in John chapter number 16, he said, there's coming a day when they'll throw you out of the synagogues for the belief that you have in me. He said, there, there's going to come a day when they kill you and they think that they're, going to serve, that they're serving God. He even told them in John chapter number 16, at the end of the chapter, he said, uh, you're going to suffer in this life. You're going to go through tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so you know, when, it, when it James would come along, and of course you can see the connection between Jesus' teachings, and then you see Yaakov and, and the teachings that he has as growing up in the same household as Yeshua, you can understand. He said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when, when he has stood that test, stood that test, faced it, and, and, and steadfastly gone through it, regardless of what it was going to cost him in the end as being faithful to Jesus, he'll receive a crown of life, which is the very promise uh, to the church at Smyrna. And if in Revelation chapter 2, he said to those who endure, uh, they'll receive the crown of life.
which God has promised to those who love him. He says, let no one say when he is tempted uh, that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither he himself tempts, and he himself tempts no one. This temptation that is being referred to is, is, is an agitation to sin. As when people are tempting you, such as, I'll go ahead and drink. Everybody else is doing it. You, you, know, you know all this Christian stuff, though. The Bible says that, that you can drink. It just says don't drink to get drunk. And the Bible says you can do things. I mean, don't, don't be a nudge. Be like everybody else. Oh, come on. Well, see, that, that is an agitation of, of the heart to, to prompt you into committing sin. And God never does that. He never tempts man. Now, it doesn't mean in the, in the word tempted as also being connected in, in to the word testing. Well, God does test people all the time. And certainly he's telling you about the test that you'll have to go through as concerning your faith. But God never tests you in a means to bring sin into your life and then, and then encourage you to sins that you would hold back. And then God could say, ah, oh, good job, son. It's not that way. He never agitates his children toward sin. He always chastises children away from sin. And so in this concept of the word tempted that we have before us today is the agitation of, of the heart toward sin. God is not tempted because he can't be tempted. He's absolute in his righteousness, whereas sin is absolute in its wickedness. And so that that is never a temptation that has come upon him, as he cannot be tempted with evil, or evil being that which is less than loving less than than is the, the very definition to love less than is evil. In other words, anything that would bring our heart to love more than loving God is something that becomes evil in our lives. And so he says God is never tempted with evil because, of, of course, he, his love is a perfect love. It is, it is a steadfast love, a love of determination, is agapao, and, and it's never going to be able to be swayed. So he can't be swayed. And he never tempts anyone towards something other than himself, for he even admitted that he is a jealous God, that, that he is very uh, cautious and, and, and loving and careful over his children. And so he's not going to put something in your life that is meant to draw you away from him, for his purpose is to, to put things in your life to draw you closer to him. That's why he gave you the Bible. That's why he gave you church. That's why he gave you a pastor that loves his word. That's why he gave you the preacher's corner, amen, is to draw you closer to him. And so he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And, and this is a place where I've got to stop today. I'll pick up with it tomorrow in a hotel somewhere in the United States. Uh, but I'll, I'll pick up with this idea tomorrow is being tempted when you're enticed. And that is my point is being being uh, engaged or as I was saying about that word tempted, uh, drawn towards sin. And so we'll definitely catch up to that tomorrow. I thank God for what he has given to us today. I hope this has been a blessing to you. And uh, so let's turn to the Lord. Father, we thank you. Give us mercy as we travel, Lord. Bless the, the miles of the road that, that we travel upon. And, and Lord, give us opportunity to be able to share the, 
just your presence, your word, and your life with others in, in the midst of our goings. We pray for Morgans, Father, that you will bless them in their in their preparation for the 250th year celebration. We pray for the membership as they prepare to look for a new pastor, Lord, that they seek by the Spirit the man that you would draw to them instead of just trusting in a piece of paper and deciding that this person is, is what they want. Lord, we pray that you will bless the church at Martin as we head that way, that you prepare their hearts for what you have given to them in, in the Arthur family because most people aren't ready <laughs> for us. We're a little bit different. Father, we give you thanks and praise for that. We ask that you will watch over the rest of this day to those who have tuned in, that you bless them richly by your word, and that you give us all the opportunity to be able to shout with glory in our hearts to the praise of our King, that he is so faithful to us. And we pray that you will give us a heart that would be steadfast and faithful to him. In the blessed name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. God bless you guys, keep you guys, and cause his face to shine upon you. And I shall catch you tomorrow here at the Preacher's Corner. Take care.